And I think there's a lot of benefits for people being able to have inexpensive tools to create you know, high octane visuals. But I also think a lot of the storytelling is gone where everyone's like, well, I'm a filmmaker. And just because you can assemble a bunch of images together, doesn't mean that there's a story and there's that kind of engagement. You know, when I launched Courageous as a business, it was built off the principle that courageous ideas are the only ones that matter. And how I kind of landed there, and it wasn't just me, it was, it was, it was a bunch of us who had thought through the, the positioning, was in my last life, every single time someone on my team and I came from creative agency. So every single time someone was working on a courageous idea, they would stay later. They were happier. And, and when the client bought those ideas, the return on courage was greater. And every single time we had surrendered to the safer idea, and shame on us, by the way, for presenting that idea, uh, at 4.59 p.m., I'd have an empty office when you had offices. I'd have a closed-door meeting every other week with someone who was unhappy on my team. And, of course, the return was not as great when a partner chose a safer idea. I, I always said that safe ideas are the silent assassins that truly take down a business. A bad idea you know right away and you can turn around but the safe idea nobody gets fired for it right but it's like two years down the line when you realize oh shit like we are going the wrong direction and we're getting past and today i'm joined by and again i've only seen a little bit of your work mark but i'm i'm joined by someone that i know in my heart believes in the courageous idea i'm joined by mark sadelsky he's a talented writer he's a thought a thinker and i think you probably would put director first above all is that how you would describe yourself yes i mean yeah i, I that's my kind of primary career is is a director but um exactly i i think for myself i think you get all kinds of commercials directors but for me the writing process and shaping the ideas um is kind of where i come from I, i'm not i'm not i don't come from like a cinematography background like for me it is all about the ideas so yeah i i like to consider myself a writer director and I think if people are paying attention, that's a Akron, Ohio accent I hear there, Mark. Yes, that's that's a that's fresh from Johannesburg, South Africa, although I'm based in Vancouver, outside of Vancouver now. Yeah, give me like the Cliff Notes version of how you got from South Africa to Canada. Um, my parents uh, immigrated from South Africa to Canada in the in the 70s. So I was actually born in Toronto, uh, lived there till I was about seven years old, and then they decided to go back and then spent the majority of my life in South Africa. Um, I was in Toronto in my kind of uh, early 30s for a wedding and I, and I met a lovely lady and then I decided to kind of hop over there and did another two years in Toronto and then she came back with me to South Africa another 10 years and now it's been a year and we're back in North America for good. So growing up for me, I, I had a few babysitters that were constants. I had a soccer ball. I had a baseball. And I had the television. 
And and my TV was really like my, my ultimate go-to babysitter. And I had an older brother off doing his thing. And I mean, great parents, but like I spent a lot of time watching TV. And my love of story started by just watching, you know, moving on up. We were watching the Jeffersons or What's Happening Now or, you know, cartoons on Saturday morning. Uh, was your babysitter similar? Or like, how did you fall in love with, with ideation? Um, no, I'd, I'd agree with you. Same kind of thing. Um, I've actually, I think one of a, a real formative thing for me was that I do remember being a kid in Canada and I had some cousins who were a few years older than me. And I remember I might've been like five, six. And I think at the time TJ Hooker was like big on TV at the time. And I remember my cousins were over at our house and they were like, oh, cool. They're going to watch TJ Hooker. And I was like, oh, you know, settling in on the carpet. And my mother's like, no, this is too violent for you. You're not allowed to watch this show. And of course, then I, you know, she was like, go watch something, you know, in the basement. And I went down to the basement. And then what I used to watch on repeat was, um, Time Bandits, which, of course, you know, Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits is, is infinitely more warped, you know, than, than T.J. Hooker. So, but, but you know, I ended up, you know, I was huge on, on Time Bandits. I remember watching Star Wars, the original one, repeatedly, also at a very young age. And exactly, I think that I was also lucky. My parents um, were also really into, um, my mother used to work in media, um, was a media director at agencies. And my dad... Um, had an English degree, but he actually was in electronics and marketing. So it was a big movie and TV household. You know, we, we definitely did love our, our, our filmed entertainment. And then, and then exactly, then my dad was always bringing home video cameras, you know, as, you know, samples from the office. He worked for JVC. And then, um, then also every single school project had to be a film. Yeah. So I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old and my, I, you know, I, I'm based in San Diego. And I think the my plan was always to get to LA after New York City. And then you land in San Diego and you're like, wait a minute, people live here? How do I live here? And I want to, I want to stay here. But if I have any regrets, and this is like brutally vulnerable moment, it's that I never really took a, a good cut at LA for me and just sort of colliding with the storytellers of LA. I felt that was the one place where I probably should have pull the trigger. Now, you know, if that happens, I don't need my wife. I don't have my kids. So there's a, there's a whole nother, there's an idea in there, right? <laughs> For another time. But we talk about story all the time. Like my son is making little movies and I try to be careful not to push my shit on him. Like if it's pure to him and he likes to do it, then I will obviously support it. And, and so, you know, I wonder if you take us back to Mark, the little boy, was that how you felt? Like, were you making films where you were a kid or were you just talking about story and talking about ideas? Um, you know what I, what I've also actually seen with my five-year-old, um, as you see things, how they echo through is that I think probably the first is obviously I loved, you know, watching TV, watching those stories, but I think I was always a big action figure guy. And, and for me, it was less about, you know, you also have those kids who are, you know, into building the Lego and things. But for me, I think it was more about the Playmobil and the GI Joes and rather creating the narratives on the carpet rather than always being about actually, you know, the building and the construction of things. So, yes, I think I was always into kind of building the narratives, you know. I think that would probably be that, that first building block for me. Don't you feel like 
I mean, that's kind of where we're missing. Like, even now, like, I struggle with, I'm, there's a very particular project I'm working on right now. And a lot of my work today is leadership, but it's the, it's the storytelling part that the leader's missing. It's like, where's the the narrative and great stories, you know, this stuff already, like have act one, act two and act three. There's, it's, there's a, there's an arc to that story. And I do feel like that's, what's, what's gone away a little bit is the narrative itself. Are, is, do you see that in your world or because, I mean, it's gotta be tricky to be you too, right? Cause like you're, you're basically brought in later in the creative process now to like yeah. help fulfill someone else's idea. Um, I, yeah, I mean, hundred percent. Um, I think it also depends on the projects. Um, and I think what I'm also hopeful about is that I think that sometimes if people see my work, then they think, Oh, we'd like him to kind of add value, maybe more value than, than people in other genres or, um, but what I think is interesting as you talk about that is I think, I think we definitely see within within overall storytelling, whether it's in filmmaking or in on, on theatrical releases or whether it is within the commercial world, that I think we go through phases. And I definitely noticed that, for example, the piece that we met talking about, you know, um, my the Nike Stussy piece, for me was also a um, reaction to a lot of the work that I had been seeing is that for me, and it's weird, because I remember like also growing up, we talk about again, you know, flocking to the movies. And in South Africa, I also remember, you know, the era of cigarette advertising, you know, and and people on ski slopes and, and, you know, uh, Winston car wrecks and things like that. And it was real kind of visual razzle dazzle without much of a narrative associated. Um, And in a way, I think we've been there for the last few years too, um, and I think also with even the rise of, you know, of, you know Vimeo and, and I think there's a lot of benefits for people being able to have inexpensive tools to create, you know, high octane visuals. But I also think a lot of the storytelling is gone where everyone's like, well, I'm a filmmaker. And just because you can assemble a bunch of images together doesn't mean that there's a story and there's that kind of engagement. And that's what I was kind of missing. So especially since I saw that, I think you can... In, in the fashion world that a lot of it is also being always be associated with just kind of glossy visuals. I wanted to create a film that was in the fashion world, but actually was telling a narrative that could be humorous, that could be conceptually interesting. So for me, I'm, I think that, you know, people have to fight for, for screen time. And I think you need to make something engaging. And I think if something is just anonymous or derivative, um, I think people shut off. So my hope is that, like you were saying, you know, like you just can't create wallpaper. And I think if you can create an intriguing story, um, that that's how you get people. Um, I think when we were having the conversation also before we were talking about rules that people have about, I think different kind of, you know, medium and mediums and what can function on this and what can function on that. And the client of that Stussy Nike film only told me afterwards that he actually was a little bit worried that we were creating a film to be watched on your phone. It was going to be launched on their Instagram primarily that was two and a half minutes and that was dialogue based. 
because there's all those things you'll hear about uh, people don't listen. You know what I mean? They just, you know, they'll, they'll just watch for 10 seconds. And if someone's talking, they'll just go next, next. But that wasn't the case because people found the content intriguing. People bought into the narrative and that kept them watching. So I don't think that those rules, you know, are hard and fast. I think you, you just got to put your best foot forward and create something that is going to actually engage people. Are you, are you watching Winning Time right now? I, I just finished the other day. Okay, don't ruin it for me. I'm still early in it, but I think to this. Okay, so if you haven't watched Winning Time, people, this is this is this is the Lakers. It's the rise of the Lakers. It's I think it's on HBO Max, and like I think it's a great example of when do you break rules and when do you not break rules? And like, oh, like one of the big rules is don't break the wall, don't break the wall. And guess what's happening here? Here we are, we're talking directly to camera. Okay, that's an easy, lazy one. But you're right, like there's so many rules that we think are like written in paint. Hmm. And and like, well, why? Like who's decided that that's a rule? And I think great storytelling also does look at a rule and decide. Is this, a, is this a law or is this something that we we can break? Now, I kind of feel like, Mark, I did you a disservice. So, like, I want to get from seven-year-old in the basement, Mark, to, I mean, award-winning commercial director. And you've, like, I mean, you've won a ton of stuff, right? And, and like, I know it's probably really fun to brag about yourself, but, like, Ken and Cleo's and, I mean, you've won a ton, like, what what's your like most proud? Is there a most proud award that you've won in the space? Um, you know what I I, I think um, I think there's the, at different points different things mean different things to you. Um, I think for me, um, yeah, I think you know when I was I was on the Saatchi's, um new director showcase at Cannes when I was 23, which was a big deal. But at the time, I think I was so overwhelmed that I don't think I could really appreciate it. Um, but I mean, and then I think also like, you know, the DNAD, you know, and this last one. But I think for me, you know, I think awards are great. But I also think that if you are a creative person, then the exciting thing about the award is what what is it going to give you a shot to do next? You know, is if it's if it's going to put you into another room, it's going to give you more opportunities. So for me, it's it's all like I think it's exciting, but for me, it's exciting. Oh, now I'm going to get repped by that company. You know that that now that your stature increases to give you more creative opportunities. And if I'm a if I'm back at twelve year old version of me. And I want to become a director that has eventual access to create. Because that's really what it's about, right? Like you said, it's it's the fun, messy stuff. What advice would you have? Let's say my son's listening, who's, again, he's nine. What advice do you have for him? Um, you know, I, I think especially... Um, as as a, as a as a young person it's to really just to, to just indulge in the love of it you know because because that's what i remember also making those projects and just being so damn excited you know it's also in that era you know you i would also edit things together with you you know you take the two vhs machines at your house and hook them up together and do you know tape to tape and kind of edit it there and you had to like pause it in the right spot so you didn't get like a glitch and you know something in between you know the edits and kept them smooth but for me it's also it was always just the kind of purity of it 
And, um, and what I, I also, which I, I would even tell to, I think, you know, much older filmmakers, you know, even people coming out of film school, but, you know, point is that I think it can take a long time to find your voice. Um, and I don't think you should beat yourself to beat yourself up too much to have not have found it early enough. But what I also think is because I think, you know, I think there was also a great quote. I think it could have been like Guillermo del Toro where they often say, you know, ask people, what's your style or what's your sensibility? And he said, it's really like if I take all of my influences and, 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 and all the way that you tried to kind of copy them in all the way that you fought, fell short, that's your style, you know, like, you know, and, um, and I think for me is like, it can take a while and it can also take a while, I think for your technical capabilities to meet up to your, your vision. You know, I, you're not going to have the skill set necessary to achieve what you had in your mind at an early point and that you need, still need to kind of learn from those, you know, still need to go, okay, you know, I tried that that worked, that didn't, why didn't it? And to, to keep kind of building that skill set, because it definitely is a trial and error, you know, um, career. Well, I imagine it, it never stops. I mean, this is like, never stops. This is the, blessing. I guess you say that about everything, right? Right. This is the blessing and the curse of it though. Like, yeah. right. That, that, this is why creativity can be so, so damn painful, right? Because, you're only as good as the the thing you indulge in the love of at that very moment. And, but I'm curious if you feel like if you had to throw a dart at a, an age, you had to throw it. I'm yeah, like, yeah. that's when you really, really start to like lock in on your voice. What's the age? If you had to guess. I, I, I think I think at the time where I probably really like turned into um, in terms of the voice or in terms of the obsession about filmmaking. Oh, the obsession. Forget it. Because I think, you know, to your point, uh, love is complicated. You know what the thing is? I, I, I think with the voice, um, it's interesting is that I can actually see. It was like a project that I did at, interesting enough, there's a project, a commercial that I made at film school. At our film school in South Africa, we used to do a collaboration with the adver, one, of, one of the top advertising schools. And it was like your kind of first opportunity to work with the creatives and they would have a script and you kind of get these projects to be assigned. And there was one commercial that I did, you know, as a spec spot that I kind of turned um, this Wonderbra idea that they had set in a bar and I turned it into this, German expressionistic comedy about two guys called Hans and Heinrich. <laughs> and, and like, if I look at that, I can see a lot of, you know, where I am today. Um, so, so it was there, but then of course, you know, you get into the working world and, and you don't necessarily have as free a hand, you know, and then you need to kind of, you know, start charting your course, you know, amongst all these kind of real life, you know, um, hurdles, you know, like, well, that's the script and you can't change that or no, they don't like that look or, or that, well, we can't afford, you know, that, you know, to build a set like that. And, and you can end up, you know, trying to chart this course, you know, through all of this. And then I kind of found that you have to sometimes, you know, um, reset and rediscover yourself. You know, um, I, I think that's, you know, it was interesting. I think when you were talking about courage is that, I think I think anyone who wants to be really great at what they do obviously studies 
masters within their field. And I think what can also be, I think, quite inspiring or liberating is to realize that not no one person does it the same way. And, and no one has the same career trajectory. So, for example, um, I did get this opportunity where, you know, I hit this big showcase in Cannes. I was 23 years old. I started shooting in Europe. But the thing is, is that there's highs and lows. You know what I mean? You, you know, you're busy. You're not. You know, you, 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 you do a couple bum scripts that you shouldn't have. You know what I mean? And then sometimes people would say, okay, well, that's, that's him done, you know? And, and then... You, you've, you've got to keep finding ways to reinvent yourself or rediscover. And I think maybe that's where the courage comes to not go, oh, well, you know, they say that if you did this, then that's where you are. And you go, well, you know what I mean? Different rules, you know, they don't have to be rules, you know, and that I'm going to go and do this or I'm going to make that or I'm going to try and push those guys to do this or that. And, and you can really craft your own reality. Man, they is a bitch, isn't it? They, they, <laughs> they is such a bitch. Who the hell is they anyway, right? But yeah. you're, you're, you're right. Like I was even thinking about your, your, your first Wonder Bra. Like, I mean, if there's like, there's basically a dial on, on the human amp, and all the way down is fear and being cool. afraid, and all the way up is like confidence and. And, you know, code being courageous. But, like, if that experience was, like, you're like you finally went for it. And if that if they would have, like, squashed that thought and, like, that's a stupid idea or, like, that we could ever do that or, like, stay in your lane, whatever, who knows? Like, don't you find it fascinating? Like, how many doors opened up because they let you play, right? So maybe they isn't always a bitch, right? They is also yep. opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for sure. But but it is one of those things where um, it's like, for example, you know, just, you know, working with a, a friend of mine, just fellow directors um, in South Africa. And I remember that, you know, then, you know, you're working some long form stuff or, or you're trying to, you know, pitch this to people. And um, eventually, like I said to a friend of mine, where it was, you know, I got a bunch of really of my own interesting projects where I was like, I'm just going straight to this client. I'm going to speak to him. I'm pitching him this, you know, and I just got it done. And where I actually said to him, you got to stop waiting for permission to make things. You know what I mean? Because that's exactly that thing where, and I can use an example where it obviously isn't always applicable, but yeah, you could, you can be knocking on doors in Hollywood, you know, to try and get somebody to make that movie of yours for 20 years and go, yeah, you know, just I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pitch it again, you know, and see if someone will buy into it. Or at some point you could have recalibrated the idea and shot it on your iPhone. You know what I mean? In 30 days somewhere. You know, you got to, at, at a certain point, I think there has to be, you know, or, or make something else and just say, well, you know what, I'll come back to that because I can't get that made, but I'm going to make this and this I can get done. I think at a certain point, you can't keep waiting for permission to, to see if someone else will allow you to express yourself or to do something. Well, this is how we met, right? I mean, so basically how Mark and I met, I had the honor of meeting him i was basically moderating that's a loose word a panel for the one show and mark had created this epic piece called shelf life for stucy and nike like that's how i look at it i mean and and it was exactly what you're talking about right it was 
you didn't wait for permission. You were proactive about going direct to the client. How, you know, it's, this is better coming from you. Can you kind of walk through how all of this happened? How did you meet them? How did you approach them? Because you're living proof of this exact principle. Um, yeah, well, I mean, so I'll, I'll just give uh, the audience a little bit of background. So, you know, living in South Africa, I've, I've always been a big sneaker guy. As I said that, you know, like growing up, you know, you could often kind of buy stuff at a conventional like footlocker. But if you wanted something a little more switch and exclusive, you, you'd sometimes have to travel, you know, wait for an overseas trip. And then there was a guy called Nick Herbert who started a company called Shelf Life in Cape Town. It's a nice, great sneaker boutique. And then he kind of broadened out, went to Johannesburg, and they kind of built a huge online platform and had a great following. And to the point where they had a lot of credibility also within the market that even Nike in South Africa would put all those exclusive collaborations would be like, okay, you can only buy through Shelf Life. So obviously, like seeing this company, I thought this is really right up my alley. And like I was saying before, I'd done some work for a client, some continuous work for a fashion client there. But again, I tried to kind of push them a bit. But again, you know, you were still meeting a lot of those blockades of, you know, we got to do these things. And of course, you know, I think to any marketers out there, sure, you know, you got to showcase the product. You know, that there's certain givens that, you know, um, have to be done. But I think there's always a refreshing and new way to do things. So I decided to stalk Nick and start, you know, I, I, I got through a friend of mine, you know, there was a kind of connection. Um, and then I started, you know, saying, come on, let's do something. Let's do something. And then eventually I had uh, done a KFC ad, which had been really popular in South Africa, which again had kind of broken the mold there, which had, had gotten a, a great reception. And I was going down for a holiday in Cape Town. I said, come, Nick, let's meet up. We had coffee and he'd also just seen it. And he said, okay, cool. Now I'll contact you. And this was then COVID kind of hit about a couple of weeks later. And he mailed me and said, well, there's this Nike Stussy collaboration. What do you think? And I said, cool, I'll send you a script. And I kind of crafted this thing, sent it to him. And he was like, cool. So again, there wasn't a huge budget. Nike was giving them a little bit of money, I think, for some of these collaborations. And then, you know, also through my own industry relationships um i was managed to like cobble together a lot of kind of favors and and also get people onto other jobs i was doing and um it really launched with like such humongous kind of fanfare that within the local market there was a great success and then immediately also um international success but uh, but what i was also um saying to ryan before when we were just talking about rules um is often in the South African marketplace, and it'd been the same with the KFC piece, you know, you'd often been kind of pitching to agencies or clients and saying, you know, I think we can push the humor here or go here. And you'd often get responses about like, no, I don't know if, you know, if that's our market sensibility or if they're kind of, you know, that might be, you know, if this was the States or Canada or the UK, Australia, maybe, but, and I think we really have a global audience now, you know, everyone watches the same stuff. And and I think that the success of the Stussy, Stussy piece was um, a showcase of that, that there was this kind of great response. It's like, no, you see, people get it. And uh, obviously, the it was a dream sequence. <laughs> yes. Right, about things that are weird. Yes. Right? You want to give a 10-second version of it? 
I'll, I'll give the 10 second version. Yeah, the 10 second version is um, you have this, you have a conversation between two young guys on a couch and one guy is relaying his dream to his friend. And as he kind of, you know, maneuvers through the dream, um, there's this constant um, kind of confirmation that, you know, oh yeah, that's pretty weird and that's pretty weird um, until we, and the kind of clothing is is enmeshed within this dream until we kind of finally reveal at the end that um, that their reality is far weirder than the dream. Yeah, I think I think we should leave it at that because I'll put a link in the right in the notes and people can watch it. You know, I always find that. And I don't know if I I don't know if I link this to courageous ideas. I definitely link this to creativity that constraint is actually like a cool component of creativity. It's like you can make a case. You might not love this as a director. Yeah. Give me a $2 million budget. I can be really creative, but give me a $50,000 budget. And now I'm going to, I'm going to have to work. The hamster in the brain is going to have to figure out how do I, cause you can't, there's no like asterisks on work. That's like, yeah. by the way, I only had 50 grand to make this. It's just a piece of content. So one, like how did that, like you had to figure out, and I, by the way, I'm looking at your site right now, and I'm noticing the KFC talent. Yes, was also in in this work, correct? Yes, yeah. Now, um, again, it was one of those things where you know I got to know the kind of pool of actors in South Africa for a long time, and you know, and um, I just worked with that one actor, Sashaba. And when I actually wrote the piece, I wouldn't say I wrote it with him in mind, but once I had kind of crafted it, I then already said to myself, okay, well. There's only a handful of guys who I think can pull this off, you know? So I already kind of had my, you know, two or three guys and I kind of sent it off to them. And, uh, but I mean, they also, the guys, you know, they really just loved it also just, you know, being pretty, pretty free. And well, it was also just, a, a, it was great to, I think, have that kind of trust from the client because, you know, Nick wasn't sending him anything. You know, he literally was just like, there was no oversight. I crafted the piece, sent him the product, and he was like, thumbs up. Which I think was also, I mean, this guy's also got, a, I think, a great confidence in his, in his brand um, and, and, and knows what, what works for him. I mean, we're back to rules, right? Like we have this make this made up rule that there should be 11 layers and it needs to go through all these people. And what a surprise when there's a tree trust fall between you and another and let, let you do what you do. Like, I mean, from his lens, we don't have this conversation, but from his lens, he's probably like, well, that piece was pretty cool. Do that yeah. for me. Yeah. But then along the way, there's like speed bumps and hurdles and, and you don't want to like, discount everybody's point of view everyone's trying to do the best that they can but it does get in the way well and and, and you know we're also just talking about i mean and that's why i and uh, i i know that being in a large corporation you know and there's huge amount of money at risk often but i often just think as a marketer you know that that often you'll be dealing with with marketing people who are they know that if they follow the playbook that they won't get fired if, if it doesn't work. So, so, and that's what they're kind of leaning on. Whereas if you're trying to expand, you know, like get out of the comfort zone and say, yeah, but we could do that. Or, you know, like, let's get that performance out of them. 
for them, there's a risk that, well, if it doesn't work out, you know, it's going to come down on me. It's like, yeah, but if it really works out, then, then it's, you know, you, you can rise with the piece, you know what I mean? Then, then you're the one who had the courage to say, you know what, let's go there. Because for me, it's like, if you're just going to create a piece of wallpaper, something that, well, you know, we don't want anyone to be offended by this. We don't want this. We don't, you know, that, that, that look might be a little bit jarring. It's like, you just, you might as well just burn the money in my opinion. You know what I mean? It's like, you're just ensuring that no one's ever going to take notice of this thing. Um, so I, I don't really get the point. I, I want to go back to the constraint and creativity concept. Yeah. Like, do you feel that way? Like when there's constraint, like, do you, does that make, does that excite you because it's like, Oh, just another challenge to make this piece or does it piss you off? Cause like, Oh man, if I had this, I would be able to do that. No, you, you know what? I, I do agree with you. I think, I think there's always interesting solutions to be found. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I, I also think that that also as you get more experience in my job, you begin to kind of think also with a production head, you know what I mean? So you begin to already think to yourself, okay, well, I'll probably, you know, I'd love to do that, but I'll probably only get to do, get that or we'll only have X amount of time in a day. Oh, but maybe we could do that at that place or whatever. And then you change the scenario and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's actually much funnier than the big version of that, which was just kind of grandiose, but it wasn't actually that smart or inventive. So I 100% agree with you. I think that there's, and, and exactly, I also often find there's the case where people often think about, oh, you want that? Well, then this is the way we have to do that. And then you go, no, you could just bring, you know, a piece of, you know, board in and we could, you know, that, that, that sometimes you can also say, well, we can get a similar result without the show. So how much, since this is a show about courage and there's this relationship between fear and courage, how much fear do you get on every now at like every production, like, or even at, it could be at the ideation stage. It could be at the actual execution stage. Do you have some moment of fear where there's like another little Mark version of you in your head being like, how the hell are you going to pull this off? Or this is a bad idea. It's not a good idea. Um, you know, I, I think that kind of thing is always present. I think what's, what's, what's important is I think you have to be able to function with it and be able to sometimes kind of use it or not let it be paralyzing. Um, it's always funny. It's, um, I agree with you. Like you'll always find it. There's always those key junctures along the way. I think, you know, you'll get the script and that's why I think often where I sometimes I'll read a script and you go, Oh yeah, no, this is, this is cool. And then you kind of start sitting with it and then you start really getting granular on things and you go, Oh, actually this part doesn't work or actually this doesn't work. And all of a sudden <laughs> you all of a sudden think, Oh, well, this seemed quite simple. And then all of a sudden now, but, but I think again, that's natural. Um, and then, and then you begin to kind of get your juices flowing and begin to kind of, in your mind, crack it. But, uh, but there are also those key junctures. I also find every, the, when every shoot day begins, I think especially the first day of a shoot, even though you've gone through all this pre-production about we're doing this and we're doing that, and you're also the guy at the front, you know, who's like, I know what we're doing, we're doing this. To me, there's still something about 
getting the first shot in the can and moving on. Whereas now we have the actor, we have the wardrobe, we're on the set where you also go, once we've moved on for that shot now, now that's what it really is. You know what I mean? Before it was still all hypothetical. And now, now we've got our building block number one. And it's kind of like once, once we kind of decide to move after that first shot, I kind of feel a bit of a relaxation. Like, okay, it's like, okay, that's exactly what it is. But I mean, also the worst, one of the worst ever is I'm sure every director would tell you is when you see the first edit from your editor, oh my God, it's dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> Do you write like news? Like, can you see like different news headlines or anonymous posts on in Reddit of like career over? Yeah, you always see it the first one. You go, oh god, that's dreadful. Um, not, not not to be insulting to editors, but you're always like, you're always going to go, okay. And then you you know you begin to kind of like, okay, you know, let's move that here, move that there, and you begin to, which is why I always feel a lot of. Um, sympathy i think which is that same feeling that you get when then you you show the agency for the first time and you get their sense of nerves you know because then often they've been working on this project for sometimes nine months you know beforehand so they're a lot more invested and put a lot more time in the in the trenches than i have so um, i do love that sort of i know what i'm doing i'm the director and it's like i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> I, I thought i knew what i was doing wait a minute, nobody actually knows what they're doing, but I guess I'm closest to knowing what I'm doing. And it would be cool to brand that moment, by the way, that first inning, that first, that first, we always talk about check the gate at the end. What's the first, like, is there a check the gate moment at the beginning for the first shot? Like, let's brand that little moment because you're right. There's like a total relief. Like the, it's happening. We're going. Yeah, it's exactly. Now it's happening. It's like, Oh yeah. When we always said, you know, he was going to walk with that cocky swagger. That's what that swagger actually is in that wardrobe, in that light on it. You know what I mean? And now you're like, okay, like hardcore cement block down foundation. Okay. Now we start building on that. What's, what's the, the actor from the KFC? What's his name? His name is Sashaba. Sashaba. You know, yeah. what's probably really funny is, just exactly how you feel, Sashaba feels too. And he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing until he gets out there and he does it. He's like, was that, that was it? Okay, that was it. That was it. And everybody's feeling the sort of same feeling probably. Yeah, well, and, and, and that's why I often sometimes feel, um, especially a lot of sympathy, I think, for actors too, because because exactly, they're putting themselves out there and they're also relying on, you know, the director and, and feedback from the agency to kind of confirm, you know, because he could also go like, he, he goes somewhere and we go, oh, that's great. And he might in his heart go, I didn't feel like that was great. But then at the same time, if people start saying like, no, 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 let's keep doing that, keep doing that. If you're with the wrong people, he can also end up seeing a final product and going like, oh my God, that was dreadful. You know, that, that he's also relying on our feedback to actually also curate his performance. And that's why you, sometimes you can see things where you go, that guy's a really good actor, but he's really dreadful in that. And it's because he also wasn't, wasn't you know, it, doesn't beca- it isn't because he thought that performance was good. It's because that's the feedback he was getting to actually, oh, no, no, go much bigger. No, I thought that was good. No, no, no. It's, go bigger. Feel free. You know, and... Um, <laughs> well, look, well, so much has to go right is also my takeaway from this. And you only have so much time. Um, and speaking of time, we're kind of coming down the home stretch here. So, like, take us home here on maybe maybe share 
you know, you go through your journey and, you know, we go from the kid in the basement to director and the opportunities and that are falling into, into place or you're, you're, you're making happen really. Is there something you can share now that you feel like, or is there like an idea you have that's an absurdly courageous idea in your mind that you want to pursue that you feel you could share here? Um, what like in, in terms of what like a just some kind of insight or like a, a future project? Of, well, I was going future project, but if you feel like you can't share that, or you don't, <laughs> you're worried the fear of someone's going to steal my idea, then don't share it. But like, what's just sort of your overall insight takeaway for us? Um, well, well, you know what? It, it, it's also interesting. What I've actually been thinking about a lot lately was. Um, you know, like I, I know that in a way people like to have these completely like, I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Do people have these long-term 50-year visions of themselves? You know, like like that. that's my whole journey mapped out. Um, but it, it was interesting that in a way I've had a lot of, you know, um, success with a lot of these projects within, you know, like a music video commercial vein of late. And that in a way I, I achieved a lot and obviously that there's a lot more to come that I'm gunning for, that I'm ambitious about, you know, but, it, but it's that weird thing where you sometimes go, oh, if I only could get represented by that company, if I only could win that award. And then you find yourself in a place where you go, well, I did win those awards and I am represented by their company. And then you go, and now what? You know, and I think it's that continuous thing that, which I think is sometimes where, I, where is, it, is it fear where you sing to them saying, oh, so now I, it's this continuous, like, are you on the hamster wheel? Like now, now do I need to do the next thing? And I do the next thing. And I think it's maybe just trying to adjust your headspace to go, well, what, what got you to this step was a kind of bravery and a self-belief and maybe an, and a, a joy in the process. And to just not again get strangled by fear and 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 keep try and keep that purity to go to the next thing, um, and and not all of a sudden become mechanized by like oh it's now this 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 career thing and I need to manage it, you know, um, because that again then I think you'll you'll get frozen by by trying to make the right choices um, as opposed to making the brave choices or the choices that that fulfill you because i i definitely feel that my inside it it is that true thing and my late dad did always say to me i remember um my mother was always like well i was like oh, i want to go to film school and also if you're like also like a, a jewish kid in south africa there isn't a huge entertainment industry there too so you know my mother's like why don't you be a lawyer and you can make films in your spare time you know <laughs> very mom very mom-esque very mom-esque <laughs> And I remember my dad said, well, let him go to film school. He said, you know, he'll only ever really be good at something that he's passionate about. And, and I think for me that, that is, you've got to find your thing and you've got to, I think, keep the passion, you know, and, and, then, and, and don't make it mechanized and don't all of a sudden try and manage it as, as, a, as a career. Because I think if you keep on trying to express yourself and be bold about what you feel, what your ideas are, then, then success will come because, yeah. because people will identify because it'll be authentic and it'll be different. Uh, I, my big takeaway is from this conversation goes back to something you said, like 10 at 10 in, which is indulge in the love of it. Like you gotta keep yourself honest on, do you love it? 
and and then don't let they get in the way, whoever they might be. And there have absolutely been times in my career coming out of agency, a very subjective arena, as we both know, where I let they get in the way. I didn't. Ha- I I did not have the same first experience that you did. Maybe I wasn't as talented as you either, but I I know that the they definitely got it like. It, it minimized my belief early in my career. And I still believed in myself enough. I kept going and and playing. And I lo- like even now, like I love if I could spend all my time. Like part of this is just like a ruse, right? To like put my courageous lion out into the world to make sure I get the one percent of people that truly believe in courageous ideas and like build that community. And it can be really lonely when you go at it alone, but when you're surrounded by other people that want to be brave, who are willing to at least go there, like, okay, now we're not so alone because I know you're going and I'm going and it doesn't matter then if it's courageous leadership or courageous ideas. I just know that we're willing to roll up our sleeves literally and take a cut. Uh, Love your work, Mark. I'm so glad we were able to like, meet each other and jam anytime you want to get some sun come on down to southern california and we'd love to have you down here most definitely lovely chatting to you too thanks for having me thanks mark 